Hello, hey, welcome to the podcast, season six, episode two. Um, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. As always, welcome to 2023. Holiday season is over. Thankfully, I'm done with it. Ready to get to the winter. This episode, as always, brought to you by EMI Research Solutions. You can reach us at IntelliCast.EMI-RS.com. Follow us on Twitter, EMI underscore research, or IntelliCast1. Please text us, 513-401-5463. Joining me today, as always, is Brian Peterson. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you? Doing all right. And the lovely, glowing... Director of Partners and Network Quality, Mary Rose Draper. Hello, how are you? Hello, thanks for having me on the show again today. Well, this is an easy day since the Bengals won. Um, yeah. I don't know if we, people, most people know this, but you are a Cincinnati Bengals season ticket holder and kind of a grumpy fan. I would label you as a grumpy fan. <laughs> I am a grumpy fan. <laughs> it, it controls your whole, not just mood, kind of like your entire livelihood. Would you agree it, with it? It does have a major impact on my Sundays, Mondays, and maybe Tuesdays. Um, so as you know, we're coming off of a, a really important win the Bengals had on Sunday, but I did take off of work on Monday just in case. <laughs> um, either I was going to be unbearable and no one at work would have wanted to deal with me had we lost or what actually ended up being true was that it was such an amazing game and I spent so much time screaming and yelling that I, I didn't have a voice yesterday. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You talked for, I don't know, 15 minutes before coming on air, but how was, what was it like being there in person? It was great. So the atmosphere was very lively. We had just played the Ravens. So I think maybe there was a little less electricity because it was a team that we had literally just played the week prior. Um, But knowing that it's a playoff game and how our team has performed being a Bengals fan years ago, you just didn't really have high expectations for playoff wins Um, or the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're making it at all. So after last year's Super Bowl run um i think we were all kind of as a fan base expecting to go into the playoffs this year and and win i will say the the one thing that was has been a little bit different since the um original meetup with buffalo is that when there are injuries in the game yeah, yeah. you kind of hold your breath you feel a little different yeah you have PTSD um, a little bit yeah, so I do feel a little traumatized by that. Yeah, I get um, it, yeah. But for the most part, it was great. So they um, they have this feature now that's light up the light up the stadium for our night games, and yeah, um, everyone's phones are coordinated with the light show and the music, and it's really just amazing. It, it feels really great to be a part of um, a fan base where you have a team that's performing the way our team is performing. So I'm super excited about it. You should be. And Bengals fans are getting a little bit like used to this a little bit. This is this will be their sixth playoff game in two seasons. They've had four playoff wins. Mm-hmm. They haven't won a playoff game in 30-something, I think 31 years. Now they've won four in a little over a year. Um, so it's a nice little run. It is. I'm excited for the city. The city's just so happy. It's just that our, this reminds me of last year. This, you could go to a copy shop and you'll be seeing people – you know, they're smiling more, they're skipping, they're hugging. Yep. It'll get us through the winters. If they can get this win, too, and this is yes. a tough one, they'll get the city through the winter, I think. 
this is a tough one. I do love seeing um, the extended Bengal attire going through the week. You know, you typically yeah. see like a Sunday Bengal jersey and, you know, come Monday, everyone's back into their their regular groove. But now everywhere you go, they're still, everybody's still repping their team. And the way the city lights up at night with the orange on the signs and the buildings, it really is amazing. So I'm going to take all my positive energy with me to Buffalo this weekend. Yep. Um, to support the team. I'm very excited about that. Um, I, I do think that being a, a rival in, in their hometown is never easy being the away team, but um, I do think that Buffalo is going to treat us well based off of how, um, what the experience that our teams now share. So looking forward to it. Yep. Excited for the city, excited for the game, and excited for you. I hope you have a good time. And I guess we can move on. Go Bengals. Who day? I don't say who day we're often. I'm a Steelers fan, but um, last couple of years I've been a diehard Bengals fan. They're just so likable. I told Jason yeah. this the other day, where's Vontez, where's Perfect? And all these people that you, it was easy to hate. The yes. Bengals have, not only are they good, they're so likable. Everyone yes. on the team is like T. Higgins. You can't hate T. Higgins. You can't hate Joe Burrow. No, no. Hate anybody. Sam Hubbard. I mean, Sam yeah. Hubbard. Hubbard and he's like the Cincinnati kid. I mean, they're nice. They seem like really nice, good people too. So you're winning with quality and integrity and good people. You can't root against that. It was easy to root against the Bengals 10 years ago. Yes. Um, But maybe that's that. Maybe that's their problem. The Bengals need kind of a a jerk. No, (laughs) they played that villain role. (laughs) I, I like what we've got going on. Uh, yeah. taking the high road and, and taking that road all the way to the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Well, for 90% of our listeners, that probably was uh, an irrelevant five minutes, but I had fun. Let's move on. I wanted to mention some conferences upcoming. Um, the CEO Summit, that's uh, through Insights Association, that's this week. Is that right? Next week. Next week. Okay. Our CEO will be there, Michael Holmes. That's in Miami. And it's I've always heard that's one of the best conferences of the year. Um, it's very limited, only like 60 people go. It looks like a great lineup of speakers and things like that. And so I'm excited to hear what Mike Holmes brings back as takeaways. And then in a couple of weeks is the Pharma Market Research Conference. And Which you will be going to. I'll be there. That's February 8th and 9th in Newark. Man, the conference is at the Newark Hotel at the airport. So I will never be probably I'm more than a mile away from the airport and we're speaking about some research that we partnered with brand trust on. And I'm excited about that. We have a big prep meeting this week to um, go through the data and the presentation. I think it'll be really cool. I've never been to this conference before, but I'm excited about it. And that is February the night in Newark. And then Mary, you get to go to SampleCon. That's so soon. It's like, I don't know, less than two months away, right? Less than two months away. Yes. I'm oh. excited about it. Back to Pasadena. Pasadena, March 6th through 8th. Um, you'll be there. And I wish I was going, honestly. It's just in California. It's just so but, fun. But you will be heading to California March yeah. 21st and 22nd. Yeah, that's the next one is the B2B Expo in Los Angeles. I'll be there not you know a couple weeks after you'll be there. We're presenting mm-hmm. there as well. And I'm excited about that. And we have a booth. Oh, my gosh. First time we've had a booth in maybe ever. I know. So if for people who run this, they understand the stress this puts under. The people who don't, 
getting a booth together for a, for a conference is like herding cats. Yeah, it's horrible. It's, it's all different stuff. There's no single vendor you work through. It's like 20 different vendors. Some of them still use fax machines. That's how you have to send stuff in. It's ridiculous. And we're not like, um, I'll just like Dynata. Dynata's a huge global company. They have a huge marketing team. They have a whole, you know, they're all set up for this. We're still pretty small, 35, 40 people. This is you and Emma trying to figure this out. Not easy to yeah. do, but we're excited about it. I think we have a cool booth set up. We'll have fun in Pasadena. And then Quirks, um, Chicago, all the Quirks stuff is coming soon. We'll be at Quirks in Chicago. That's March 27th and 28th. That's also speaking. Quarter. Also speaking there, too. Oh, my gosh. That's three already. You're going to get tired of me. <laughs> get all three of these. So that's – I'm excited to go back to Quirks. I haven't been to Quirks in a couple of years. So I'm excited to go back there. And then I wanted to mention our Insights National Conference is in Hilton Head. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll be going to that. I hope Mary gets to go to that. That's April 24th through 26th. Hilton Head, South Carolina. It's a 10-hour drive, Mary. I was thinking about driving. It's uh, the 24th through 26th. is a Monday through Wednesday. And last year it was in Philadelphia. I drove to Philadelphia on a Sunday. I might do the same. That's a long drive, though. It is a long drive. <clears throat> the long drive there, um, when you're preparing to present, isn't so bad. But it's that way back after having done all that networking. and Yeah, that was hard. Last year, the conference ended at, I don't know, like noon, and I drove after that home. So I home to like 10, 11 p.m. That was hard. I think you just take the rest of that week off and enjoy a little vacation on the beach. Well, that's another thing. I can't take too many vacation days because I have an election this year in my personal life. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so I might need you're going to gonna need that time. I need to save them in case I got to go out campaign and canvas my neighborhood that – yeah, hey, we'll two see. day two days get you an entire week down at the beach. That's true. That's true. So yeah, conference season, man, it is upon us. Um, it, it is here. full force. Um, I was telling Brian right before this that I'm already like getting a little overwhelmed with all the stuff that's upcoming. This year is starting off um, fast and furious. Um, should we get some news? Let's get yeah, let's, some news. Let's jump into it. First up. Screen Engine has acquired Coherency, which is a brand insights and strategy company. So, Brian? I don't know if I have a lot to add here, but, um, you know, Coherency does both qual and quant. That kind of gets to our predictions of merging qual and quant. I think that people are lining up resources to have the ability to kind of do both of those things. I, I didn't know of Coherency, but, you know, Screen Engine is a pretty big name. And so, um, first of all, the name is good. Coherency is a good name. Um, so good job by them. That's I don't know if I have anything else to add. Mary, not right. yeah, not a lot to say there, but you know, good yeah. job for them. Next yeah. up, the Market Research Instru- Institute International, or MRII, has named its new board and president. Uh, Paul Hunter has been named its president for 2023, and also joining the board is you, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on. I did it. Um, well, first of all, the it's. It's just a privilege to be on the board. It's been around for a long time. It's really helping our industry continue its education. Amazing people have been on this board and continue to be on the board. I do not know Paul Hunter, who's the president, but he's right up the road. He's a professor at Miami University. And so I hope to get to know him. Um, He works at Oxford Analytics with a focus on secondary research. So excited to work with him and the other new elected members of the directors is um, Laura Barajas. I don't know her, 
um, Stephanie Hutchinson and Tim Kunkel. I know him a little bit. He's an Aspen fan. And so I'm excited to meet a bunch of people I didn't really know before. I've, I've talked to Ed Keller, uh, who's now the new executive director. He was just hired. He's been on the job for a couple of months. I've talked to him a couple of times. I love him. He's amazing. And um, you know, they partner with the University of Georgia, so it's near and dear to my heart. But yeah, I'm excited about joining the team and seeing how I can help out. I'm excited for you to have that opportunity. Yeah, and it's different. It's a different opportunity. Um, we meet quarterly, twice in person. So I'll be in Atlanta in March for that. And I think I'm going to take a vacation day there, Brian, to your point um, around that. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see what, see what happens next. A little behind the curtain. You are just going to be unavailable the month of March. <laughs> yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. yeah. That's three trips in a four-week period. Three trips, speaking at two conferences and a webinar. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, next up, KSNR has promoted three of its long-term employees to director. Yeah. So I, I don't know any of them. I wish I did. I think I've met a couple of them, but it's uh, Jen Longo, Brian St. On, I hope I pronounced that right, and Lindsay Campbell. Um, we know um, KSNR, they have such a great brand name, and um, congratulations to them, at least, say, three long-term employees that were promoted, and so good job for them. Yeah, I do feel like we hear news like this from KSNR every year. They're really good about promoting from within, and, and the team members that we've worked where we've worked with them for so long. I've um, managed projects before. I was a uh, the director of our network and quality and worked on many a studies with Jen and Brian. I'm not asking oh, yeah. Lindsay, but um, really great to see them move things along in their career at KSNR. It's great researchers. Um, you know when you work with them that they're, they're incredible what they do. So um, congratulations. Absolutely. Next up, Nielsen, following its restructuring into three global units, announced this past week, that it will be reducing its headcount to, quote, roughly in line to where it was in early 2022. It seems like some of the layoffs that have been hitting the tech industry are starting to make its way to the insights industry, Brian. Yeah, you know, Nielsen has gone through a lot of changes the last few years. Um, So the article mentions October, sold to a private equity consortium, all cash transaction, 16 billion, splitting into three units. And, you know, that's, especially with the economy, what's going on, they're a giant global company. I mean, one of the biggest names in our industry, like the common person may have heard of Nielsen, that's how big they are. And so, you know, it's tough when people are laid off and they're restructuring a little bit, but, um, you know, as they reposition, it's probably better for their growth. And I think that, I think they'll be better in the long run. I, I do think that um, we'll continue to see this trend. I feel like every couple of weeks I'm reading about major cuts from large corporations. I think there was a large hire boom um, earlier in last year. And I just don't know that that the revenues boarded all of the growth that everyone projected a couple of years back. Um, there was a, especially for research, there was more activity, more work being done post-COVID that I think anyone prepared for and kind of rebound from some of those layoffs. Maybe we doubled up our staffing in the industry. And so I do, I do think we're going to continue to see a lot of cuts in that. Yeah. Especially, you know, they're just so big. You know, they have a huge presence here locally in Cincinnati. I don't know how many people work, probably a couple hundred at least work in downtown Cincinnati. Um, So Mm -hmm. hopefully this doesn't affect them too much. 
since we have a lot of, you know, we know a lot of people that work there. But I think they'll emerge from that. Obviously, Nielsen's going to emerge from this. They'll be fine. And restructuring oh, yeah. seems like it makes sense what they're doing. So hopefully this is it. And in our final news story, um, this is not necessarily market research related, but does have impact to the industry. Um, it came out, what, Brian, about a week and a half ago or so, maybe two weeks ago, that the FTC has proposed a new rule that would ban non-competes for workers. Um, the FTC says non-compete agreements on workers constitute an unfair method of competition and therefore violate Section 5 of the Federal Trade Commission Act because they restrict freedom of job change. I was reading into this a little bit more last week, and some of it, some of the stuff they were talking about surprised me, like having hairdressers sign <laughs> non-competes and dog groomers. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So I, I understand this. What are your thoughts? Mary, do you want to go first on this one? I can start. Okay. Um, I, I do think I appreciate that this initiative is happening. I don't know that we'll see results very soon. I think it will take several months, maybe a year at least, before we see anything pushed through. Um, for our industry specifically, I think that that's healthy. You you see a lot of people move around from company to company and, and the value that potentially can um, someone can bring not only to their career, but to the next organization and having, having those kind of restrictions when our industry is the way it is. Our skill set, I think, in market research doesn't always necessarily translate really well to companies outside of our industry. Uh, so I think it might be a good thing. I think it, it'll be healthy competition for, for the research companies and, and better opportunities for lifetime researchers to explore different opportunities in their career if they want to do that. I, I think that the Insights Association for a while has had a stance that they don't support the enforcement of non-competes. They do, however, think that the non-solicitation and there's there's one other uh, non-disclosure NDA yeah, the, the non-disclosure um, is fair, but especially for senior ranking people and companies, I think that this is going to be a good, healthy opportunity for all of us. Completely agree with everything you said, but I have a lot. I, I probably have controversial opinions on this a little bit. First off, I'm not sure. I don't know how the FTC can just do this blanket across the U.S. We have states' rights. We saw that with the Supreme Court decision last year. <clears throat> Controversial Supreme Court decision last year. Mm -hmm. um, and in my opinion, a state should determine this. California has removed it. I know other many other states have removed non-competes. And I think that in my just general opinion, I think states should be able to do this. However, I don't agree that um, non-competes should exist. I agree with everything you just said, Mary. It, there's some facts in here. I'm not even sure if I agree with these facts, but they said that 18% um, of U.S. workers are covered by non-competes. That's 30 million people. And mm -hmm. if they remove this, it can increase earnings by $300 billion, save consumers up to $148 billion on health costs each year. I'm not sure how they're getting this data. Um, they close racial and gender wage gaps by 36 to 9.1%. Those are very specific numbers. Those are all good things, um, I oh, think. Okay. All of those are fantastic things, and I agree that, you know, the purpose of the non-compete to me is the, the things you mentioned, the non-solicitation. We don't want people just taking a billion-dollar book of business to, from company to company. You got to protect 
the assets and then the non-disclosure, which is, you know, pr- proprietary information and kind of company secrets, right? Completely understand that. Um, but also I think in marketing research, especially, it's hard to move around because of the non-competes. Um, we all can't take a year off. You've spent your whole career in this industry, just like I have. And, you know, it's not easy. Not that we would leave. I'm very happy in my role. Right. But we have normally have a lot of options to leave if you were under a non-compete. It's hard to do so. So, you know, I have kind of mixed feelings about it. Um, I kind of hope that the states determine this and make the right call. Um, maybe the FTC can kind of nudge. I'm a big fan of nudging. Um, instead of the federal government telling us what to do, they can kind of nudge us and nudge the states to do the right thing. There's a book called Nudge, by the way, which I recommend. So those are my two cents. Brian, I know you have an opinion on this too. Yeah, I am probably in both of your camps as well. Not a fan of these. I think I understand the initially was it was protecting companies from losing IP, specific intellectual property or clients, but with non-disclosure agreements and non-solicits, I think you protect from that. My bigger thing is I think there are some industries that this is being abused, the term, the non, yes. the, the non-competes. And I think I mentioned those like dog groomers, hairdressers. What is the intellectual property from someone at like PetSmart who's a dog groomer from going to get an up from going to a different dog grooming place. There's no proprietary way that PetSmart is grooming dogs. Like that's a little ridiculous. I think one that was mentioned in an article I saw was like Jimmy John's. Mm-hmm. Like th- you're having <laughs> minimum wage people sign this. Yeah. And now they can't go work. They essentially can't go work at another fast food restaurant because you're protecting how Jimmy John's assembles subs in 45 seconds. Like that's ridiculous. And I did see in the article I read, it wasn't this one we were talking about, the one that said that one got thrown out because it's, there is no protection on that. It was ruled unconstitutional or yeah, not viable for that ridiculous. one, but there's stuff like that. Like there are some like, Oh, I'm just going to throw this in here. Well, we've seen people that were let go as a part of layoffs they continue yes. that non-compete and that to right. me that's unfair we you know we're a small industry and we're a tight industry even though we compete with each other and people's livelihoods are at stake when you let people go and so there's got to be a, some sort of medium middle ground to let people continue in our industry we don't lose people we don't want to lose people on marketing research and insights industry and you know people don't have a lot of options sometimes and so we want, we got to keep our talent. We have a lot of challenges. And so keeping our talent, I mean, we saw, you know, it's different when people, uh, we've joked around a lot about Patrick Comer and Matt Ducey and all the Dave Corruptors and all the people who are Jamin Brazil, who are big, innovative leaders in our industry. You can kind of understand them going under a, a little bit of a non-compete maybe for a certain amount of time. But the normal day-to-day. They're also in a situation that they can probably, they'll, they're going to be fine not yeah. working for a year, for 18 months. Jamin's smart enough to, I mean, he's always got something going on. And, but we don't want to lose them either. We don't. So, right. And follow these people on LinkedIn. They're, you know, we talked about this at breakfast the other day, Mary, that they're talking about photography and NFT and gaming and right. If we sports lose betting. them, sports, yeah, sports betting, 
if we lose them, that's really bad for our industry. So, you know, it's, this is tough. Brian, I will say, I oh, go ahead, Mary. I was just going to say that the alternative I think that we're facing are the, the quiet quitters. What did that have that, like the silent resignation where you have people who are locked into situations and, and, um, maybe they aren't as productive. They're not giving their full effort because they can't simply um, explore their options. And I think it would be great for us to know that the people who are staying at the company are committed and they want to be there and they're going to do their best at their jobs and not just have the people who are kind of collecting a check. I don't know how this, I, I don't know how your thought, Brian, you mentioned that you think it should happen on a state level. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I do wonder what those implications are for the remote workers. Um, we definitely have hired far more people who are working outside of our corporate area. Um, so I do wonder how that would play an impact. I think that kind of gets a bit messy if it's state by state. Yep. Um, but overall, I like to see you know movement that helps people do what they need to do to earn a living. We see that the economy is all over the place and um, unemployment rates are getting better, but um, by no means are we in a great economic place where um, yeah. we can afford to have people not maximize their opportunity to find gainful employment. Well, this is something to follow. And I would expect there'll be lawsuits probably from um, civic associations, local business groups, mm-hmm will not like this. No. Um, and so there likely will be lawsuits and I think they would have a decent chance of um, winning them, but you know, th- that could take many, many, many years to get through. And by then, you know, all those people that <laughs> they'll be gone. <laughs> what I think, Brian, I think you kind of mentioned it was a happy, like a medium, like somewhere in the middle between current state and what this proposal is. I think you're probably going to, we're probably going to end up somewhere in the middle where there are maybe still some of these for voluntary people leaving, but in your cases of like, oh, we've had to lay off people. All right. As part of layoffs, then non-competes are null and void in that kind of piece and set set parameters around certain industries Yes, as well or in position types. Like, oh, you're the head coder for – I'm trying to think like Twitter. Okay, yeah. Well, you can't go to whatever – Twitter yeah. competitor is for six yeah. months. Got it. A limited group. Like that seems fair. Right. right. That seems fair. Right. But here's the three companies you can't go to for a year. Right. Maybe. And maybe it's that kind of like yeah. in sports, you're non-trade, you're a. Yeah. No trade you, clause. You have a no trade clause. <laughs> like, hey, as part of this, you can't go to these four. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to get the, the Dutton Ranch Yellowstone brand and have to right. <laughs> oh, good reference. if I want to lose, if I want to move. Um, my final thought on this now that I'm thinking about it is really kudos to the Insights Association for taking a position on this at a time that was probably tumultuous when there were a lot of layoffs a couple of years ago. And, you know, most of their revenue comes from corporations and businesses. <laughs> there are a lot of individual members too. They could easily take a position to side with the companies they chose not to. So kudos to them. Um, and we'll close with that. We've already, boy, this is already long. We're, are we just doing an hour episode every, every episode? It feels like year? it. <laughs> it's just what it happens to be. So we want to move into our kind of main topic for today. Yeah. Oh, we haven't covered that. <laughs> no, we haven't. Surprisingly. We'll do these quick. We'll, we'll do, do these quick. Yeah.
So really kind of setting up um, with it being the new year, um, kind of discuss some, I don't want to call them trends or predictions, but some thoughts on future of market research, both for kind of 2023 and kind of beyond. Yeah, so want me to kind of summarize my thoughts and we can, I don't know, focus on one or two of them. Yeah. Um, I think that generally the we're in a weird time in marketing research where we have distrust in data. We're going through this data quality thing where we're trying to get that. And we're also in the infancy of figuring out all the privacy legislation and also trying to combine data across sources. The democratization of data across sources would be so useful as researchers. Those trends will certainly continue. Those to me are trends. I don't know if we need to talk about them. We can if you want. But I think the evolution of data quality, the evolution of privacy, um, behavioral data, third-party data, that's one of the big things in the future of our industry is figuring all that out. We're, I don't, hopefully we're in the middle of figuring all that out, not in the beginning. Hopefully the next couple of years we'll make a lot of progress towards that. We put out a blog um, with a few other ones um, with kind of more prediction-oriented. One of them is cons- continued consolidation. Which shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. We predict it every year, and we we nail that prediction every year. And in the same breakfast we mentioned earlier, Mary adjusted this prediction based upon that breakfast. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not really an, I'm certainly not an economist, right? Yeah. Other people, especially business owners, who we had breakfast with the other day, we had this discussion around consolidation, and he had an incredible, more educated opinion than I did about the economy and um, what's out there. But and he suggested that certainly for small and medium companies, there'll be more consolidation. We saw it. We read an article earlier today. I'm sure in the next week, there'll be more companies buying and selling and they're going to be smaller. He suggested that they're not going to be huge ones. I think that, I mean, we know the big names that have either been rumored up for sale or publicly been up for sale. Giant names. He seems to think that that will not happen this year. And so I've been kind of rooting for one of those big <laughs> big purchases for a while, but you continued consolidation. I, I That's just a no-brainer. There's opportunities out there that you can leverage if you have capital, and we know the amount of investment into this industry, so it's going to happen this year. I think so, too. I think it'll probably happen, you know, closer to a third or fourth quarter. I don't think we're going to see anything, like, right out of the gate here for this year, but definitely continued continued acquisitions and consolidations. It's definitely going to happen. And I do think it'll be one of those bigger companies that we've been kind of thinking about. I kind of hope so. Me too. Yeah. I hope so. And and I hope there's another terrible name (laughs) (laughs) that comes from it that we can talk about for weeks. I can't wait for the new brand names. We should have have been a prediction, Brian, was brand names will continue. But can I add that one? Brand names continue to struggle. Yes. Well, that's because lots of stuff has been named and trademarked. You got to find something that's not trademarked. So you got to go weird spellings, different acronyms, all of that. It, they can just they can just ask ChatGPT to name them, and they'll have twenty right. great options. Like, think of this is a bad one. Engine, engine changed its name to Big Village. Yeah. One of those names is incredible and talks about kind of driving marketing research potentially. Right? It's a good name. Mm-hmm. Big Village, I don't even think that exists. There's no such thing as a Big Village. That's a town. Small <laughs> town. Yeah. We're going to do another 10 minutes on names now. We've got to move on or I'll do it. Because I've got to, don't get me With- started on other ones. 
Brian, with the econ- as we all seen, kind of the economy being yeah. up down all over the place. Who knows where it's going? This is more of a question. Yeah. You mentioned the investment coming into market research with the uncertainty within the economy, particularly in the first half of kind of this year's yeah. based on different news articles and such. Are we going to see a decline in like private equity investment maybe in the first half of the year with it picking up after when the economy overall economy picks back up? Or are you still going to see investment at the current pace it has been over the last, we'll call it 24 months? Again, I'm not an economist. <laughs> and who knows what's going to happen with interest rates and <clears throat> inflation mm-hmm. and all of these factors. I don't know. I, I listen to some of them. I'm not an expert. I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation. I think there's too much opportunity out there, too much value and insights and people that are willing to get out of the industry and sell and do something new. I think there's a lot of that going on. At certainly the economy, when you're a business owner and you have attorneys involved and you have private equity who are very, very smart people that will affect when and how and how they structure it and things like that. I don't I don't know it to that level by any means, but I, I just think it's going to happen. I don't know if I can, that's not a very good answer. I asked you an economic question and you said, yeah. by knowing you're not an economist. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I have a sense for, you know, we, we've been talking about this for a long time. We talk about mergers and acquisitions and investments. Yep. We've done that every week for four years or five years now. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's never slowed down. Bad economy, great economy, low interest rates, high interest rates, Biden's president, Trump's president. It doesn't matter. People value insights. And there's enough private equity money out there. It gets shut down from a pandemic. Right, We had a pandemic. It didn't slow down then. It was like an opportunity. There's never a bad time. Like I I listened to a podcast and the podcast is about sports, but one of the hosts is also a realtor. And he talks about his, it's always a good time to buy a home. So like, Six months ago, he's like, oh, now's the time to buy a home. Today, he's like, now's all the best time to buy a home. Three years ago, oh, this is the best time to buy a home. That's how there's always a way you can kind of spin what's going on in the marketplace to be this is the best time to do something. And I think buying and selling a company is the same kind of way. You can look at the data a million different ways. And I don't know, I think it's going to happen. I agree. Whew, that was number one. (laughs) Kind of, kind of two. Okay. Yeah, the economy looks like a roller coaster. Yeah, number two, uh, global economy is, yeah, that's it's a variable it's hard to predict <laughs> and understand for people like us that are, you know, for the most part, we just kind of come in and do our job, right? We're not talking to other companies about buying and selling and merging and opportunities and things like that. We're just kind of coming and do our job. But the economy is certainly, I mean, you look at the price of eggs and the price Don't of- Don't get me started on that. The challenge for just the- us day to day, I can't even imagine the challenges for trying to buy a company, especially when you have companies that people have overinflated their value. Like small business owners probably overinflate their value, right? It's their baby. I understand it. Um, okay, next one. Two more. Let's do two more. Okay. Paul Quant, who cares? Get me answers. I've seen this trend, and I don't know. Maybe somebody tell me if I'm wrong. One of our listeners. Am I wrong in that I feel like with proliferation of DIY tools and DIY research and less classically trained researchers. So I was, I always felt like that there was a path for qual and a path for quant. And it's hard for the two to meet. I have trained qual researchers 
on quant and they didn't understand basic quant. I've done this, seen the same thing for teaching quant researchers, qual, and it's really hard to understand qual. It's almost like two different parts of the brain for the most part. And that's why I think that generalists are so valuable. I would consider you to be a generalist, Mary, and myself to be a generalist. That We've both done qual, we've both done quant, and we see the value of both. But I think business objectives have almost always leaned towards we're going to do qual, now we're going to do quant, now we're going to do qual, now we're going to do quant. That's the traditional market research cycle, especially for new product innovation. I think present day, people are not trying to do qual and quant, qual and quant. I think it's more of here's my business objective, and I want to do both. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to do a thousand base size and then talk to three focus groups. I'm not sure if a lot of people think like that anymore. I think that they're trying to combine it all in one. And so you have weird base sizes and you have weird methodologies. I say weird, but probably good. Um, could stand scrutiny for sure. So I think that's the trend. And we saw that with the merger today. Someone bought a company that focused call and quant. They're trying to build those expertise. We saw what Schlesinger's doing. We've seen what other companies are doing when they're lining, Dynata's done this, Nielsen's done this. So lining up assets to ensure that they have well-rounded research offerings for their clients. Mary, I see you shaking your head. That's a, we're off to a good start. Do you, <laughs> we are. The stuff than I do. I do think that um, the two methodologies merging will help provide a more well-rounded. I think both sides, the qual and quant, still haven't quite figured out a way to marry um, with big data either. Yeah. So I, I think we still have some work to do in that space. It kind of goes with some of my concerns for the industry in general. I think we are seeing... Um, compromises in quality. We are seeing spikes in fraudulent activity. I know at least on the um, quant side and um, more unique ways that the fraudsters or the imposters are finding ways to kind of manipulate some of our traditional validation methods that happen in the uh, quant space that I think that we could get a lot of support from the qualitative area um, and some of their methods for validation. But not only that, um, I've noticed an increase in looking just for that needle in a haystack and the mm -hmm. quant world. And I don't know that that's the best place to find it. I do think yeah. that you can do more IDIs, more qualitative, more focus groups, more even you know small communities or online bulletin boards in a qualitative arena to get those insights and then support your data with easier to reach targets in a quant space. So I think um, your, your, your prediction or the, the blog that we have was kind of like, who cares? <laughs> um, for a long time, it's kind of been like two different sides of a stadium, but I think they're, they're, they're blending more frequently and partnering together more often with um, different types of companies that do different methodologies is really going to be better to strengthen our industry as a whole. We kind of have to work together. We need to be a big village. <laughs> oh, <cute. laughs> She's trying to get her own <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Don't shake your head. Um, I completely agree. So it's just something to keep an eye on. And maybe I'm wrong. I love feedback on this stuff. We are a sample company that has insight into a lot of different diverse clients, but mostly do quant. But I feel like we're pretty in touch with the um, overall market research ecosystem. But I love thoughts on this. We're going to come on and talk about this or disagree with me or debate it, that'd be great because I, I want to educate myself on this. I think we all do. 
And so um, please come on, tell me how I'm right, tell me I'm wrong, this is, this is cool. Um, last one, and we don't have to talk about this one too much, but we talked a lot at the end of the year, and I know Mary, you were involved in these discussions too about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, and uh, that's going before the Supreme Court. They will rule on that in June. It's something most of us probably haven't heard of. We did a couple podcasts on it with Brooke Reavy, and there's lots of information out there if you follow her. But it really, the Section 230 protects platforms from being liable for what happens on the platform. So you can tweet anything, right? And you can't sue tw- Twitter because you say anything. They're protected from it because of this Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which was started, I think, 20-something years ago, right when the internet was born. Um, you can say anything on Facebook. Facebook's not liable to anything that someone says on Facebook. In our world, the same thing exists. The example is that if I design a survey that violates certain principles, such as HIPAA, and I put it on Qualtrics, or I put it on Forsta, or I put it on any platform, that platform is also immune to liability. And if that potentially will change. And my prediction is that it will change. How far it will change? I don't know. It depends on what the Supreme Court rules. Based upon their questioning and the proceedings, I think that they're going to change it. And I think that there's um, support on both sides of the spectrum. I think Republicans and Democrats, and therefore the Supreme Court justices will have a pretty clear opinion on this. So it's how far do they push it? They may not push it too far given the ramifications of it, but I think this is going to go away and it's going to impact marketing research. And we should be aware of this because this can lead to accreditation once you kind of start playing this out. And if companies are liable for what kind of surveys they put, does that mean that anybody can start designing a survey like they can today? That's a long-winded way of saying what we've said for a few months. Well, Brian, I think, I don't know. I agree there are going to be changes to Section 230, but I don't think with the insights industry is going to be the primary yeah, no. like driver of that. I think it's going to get, we're going to get caught up in legislative changes to more of your larger social media and or tech companies, face, Meta, Facebook, Twitter. Google, all of those, they're going to make a change for that, and it's probably going to adversely affect us. That would be my guess. Well, adversely, yes, adversely affect us from uh, a process and a systems standpoint, but could improve us as an industry. If people are liable for their questionnaires they put out and the information they collect from respondents, perhaps that will create better questionnaire design. Perhaps that will create people that are better at designing questionnaires and better sample plans and better research. Maybe I'm just an optimist, but I hope that's how it plays out. Now, it's going to be a rocky road to get there. Does it put a major dent in DIY platforms until you have what we talked about with Brooke, certification processes in place? You know, a few people sent me certifications that they have. I know AYTM, for example, they have certifications. Now, are those adequate to avoid litigation, lawsuits? I don't know. Does Insights Association, that's part of their existence is to ensure that we're properly trained. And do they come up with some sort of system to accreditate our industry? Does MRI, maybe a position to do that. Is there an ISO certification? There's a lot of options. 
I think the DIY pools are seeing, they're, they're certainly aware of this and they're getting, trying to get ahead of it, but who knows what's going to happen. And I don't know if this is going to be another one of those things where it's immediate. Again, going back to the, you know, abortion over right. last year, it was immediate. I mean, that day, laws and laws changed. changed immediately. And that was a little bit chaotic there for a while because there were old archaic laws that people were like enforcing and threatening to not enforce and things like that. Is that, is that the same thing going to happen here in our industry? I don't know. And to your point, yeah, they're not, this law doesn't exist for market research platforms. It exists to protect Twitter and Google and Facebook and Apple. Mary, even we haven't let you talk on this one yet. What are your thoughts? Um, I just, I think we have talked about this before and I do think it's important that the Insights Association and the other organizations in our industry take the steps to be proactive, to put the processes in place so that we don't have to always be reactive to what types of legislation is passed down. Um, I think the uniformity is helpful and I think it helps protect us against uh, we do. We have access to a lot of data, a lot of personal information, and there should be a uniform way that we all handle it. Um, I just think that we should be taking the steps as an industry to 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 lay those rules and regulations and and put out standards rather than having to wait to see, you know, what the what yeah. the government's going to tell us to do and how they're going to have us handle it. But I also very much agree with your point that maybe this makes um, questionnaire design healthier and improve the user experience um and if that that happens that's great for our industry Ooh, man i'm worn out we did a lot of talking and thinking we did <laughs> so, um thank you for still listening this is probably 50 minutes and if you're still listening thank you so much thank um, you. give us feedback um we'd love to hear it and there's a blog out there go check out the blog and we'll talk to you soon. Any final thoughts on either of you two about anything we talked about in the last 45 minutes? Always a pleasure to join the podcast. I'm not sure if I heard the latest news about our intro song. I think you were doing some votes on that on social media. Did you get any feedback? Did you had that a bit? We've oh. had a couple people give us feedback. Um, one being Prince, but did not oh. specify a specific Prince song. That was I me. Who that came from. <laughs> No, surprisingly wasn't. it wasn't brian <laughs> i actually spent a little i went down a little rabbit hole yesterday on that and i will throw in my toss if we're doing prints i feel like it should be the opening 20 seconds of when doves cry yeah. what did we have a print song before what was that i don't think we did we never had a prince if we did it was a special one time only type thing yeah, yeah. Okay. you know this podcast has been around for so long i forget <laughs> So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it internally and we'll likely have new music soon. We've had this song for at least two years. Probably. I'm excited about that. Yeah, so thanks for listening. We'll see yes, you Yes, when soon. I listened to the last podcast, I heard the intro. I said it's time for a change. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, we used to do it every year and then we switched it. Because, you know, it's an EMI song that someone found from the 70s from the Ramones. <laughs> you gotta keep that right. I think it was from KSNR, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Um, so full circle on the news. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.